Your questions, our answers. Today, the first all question and answer show. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 114. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help people be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. And as many of you know, I get a bunch of questions every week. And I mentioned on a previous episode that I was going to start to put together questions for a Q&A show. And I am so pleased to introduce the first all Q&A show today. And so as you're listening, you may have some questions of your own you'll want to submit for a future episode. And I'd love your feedback at the end and let me know what you thought about this show and whether or not I should do more of these. And I am so pleased to be joined by Bonnie, who's back to uh, help me answer some of these questions. Bonnie, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited to dig into some of these. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you back. And uh, I'm so glad to have gotten a, a number of these questions. So as you're listening, and you know, we're going to do our best to answer the questions, but also to give some practical, actionable advice on things that you can potentially do. And of course, like all things, you know, you'll have to decide on your own whether or not this is something that you'll, you know, you'll take our advice or maybe think of something else. Hopefully we'll provide a few resources. So let's jump right into the first question here. The first question is from Jay, and he sent this in by email. And uh, Jay says, I'm on the board of an organization that's run by two partners. One partner is a really a people person. The other partner is more of a driver. All business doesn't like to fool around the office. The challenge is, is that one partner really pushes employees to the point where they almost want to quit and then the other partner has to come in and calm things down and smooth out the hard feelings. Uh, the driver partner is sometimes also blunt and driven with customers, and the other partner then has to patch things up. And in some cases, it sounds like this has lost some customers. What can I do, he asks. So, Bonnie, you have tons of words of wisdom on this, I'm sure. <laughs> I, sh I should say up front, neither of us have had experience coaching boards, so this is a little bit out of our or at least out of my area of expertise. I don't know if you've had experience coaching boards before, but um, what can we what can we offer, Jay? Well, in terms of the board, I I wanted to start just by saying there's a lot of variables here because yeah. boards can take on a lot of different roles. Some of them tend to be more hands-off. Some of them focus more on the financial aspects of a firm. And so there's a lot that, as I was reading through the question, a lot of questions I wanted to follow up and ask Jay, but since Jay is not here, is we're going to have to kind of just, give some suggestions, but as you said, he's ultimately going to have to decide what to do. Some of what Jay is describing to me sounds extremely common. So you tend to, when you, if it's, if we're talking about a smaller firm and it sounds like we are, if it's ran by two partners, you do oftentimes have this dynamic between more of the driver and more of the person who's skilled at human relations. And in fact, if you look at what it takes to be successful in an organization, I think about, in fact, I was just talking with my class the other day about, it's an introduction to business class about entrepreneurship. 
Mm-hmm. And I used to have them take this online quiz that said whether or not they would make a good entrepreneur or not. And they'd get so offended because the majority of them wouldn't make a good entrepreneur. And I got so tired of hurting their feelings. I stopped doing it and we just kind of have the conversation in class. But if you look at someone like Steve Jobs and Dave, your, your dad and mom were out here visiting from Chicago they were. for the last week. And so your dad was talking about reading the book about Steve Jobs. And I tried to explain to my students, you know, this it's hard, it's hard for them to understand because he was made to be so heroic in our culture. And he certainly did so much for technology. And you know, you and I really appreciate what he did for Apple and for a lot of the, the products we make use of. But he's not the kind of guy, probably who most of us would, I mean, if we wanted to have him over for dinner, it wouldn't be because he was so friendly and warm. And, you know, if we and we some of us, if we had worked with him in the organization would have been really challenged. Yeah. by some of the choices he made. He was not what you would typically think of as a very engaging, warm, caring leader. And so you oftentimes see this in organizations, and it's not always bad in the sense of, because sometimes what makes the leader who's more driven succeed and, and how they help the company succeed is through their ability to do conceptual thinking. Mm-hmm. They're not as valuable for the humanistic skills but the thing that I was thinking of is that one, I guess one one thing I was thinking is you can't really, you can't fix someone like that, particularly if they're not reaching out for help and wanting to get coaching themselves. I mean, you, there's a certain element that someone's had ingrained in them where you can see behavior change, but I mean, it's, the person has to be extremely bought into the need to do that. And oftentimes when you're talking about someone that is a partner in a firm, you don't typically have that kind of buy-in. Yeah, I think that that, and that is so true for any coaching. And one of the first things that um, I talk with people about when we talk about coaching is, well, does the person want to be coached? Do they want to change? And if the answer is no, then (laughs) there's not a lot you can do from a coaching standpoint. There may be things you can do from a management standpoint, but not certainly from a coaching standpoint. And so you're like you said, it's hard to know without knowing the role that this board plays in that firm, whether it's more of an advisory role or if it's a, they're really directly involved. You know, one of the things that really came to mind when I saw this question is just division of roles and responsibilities and what each person has ownership for in that firm. And so one of the things, if I, if Jay was here, I'd want to know is, um, has some thinking been done? And I know with a lot of partnerships, this isn't always done. Is some Has some thinking been done on who's doing what and who is really, uh, who's best served to do what different roles in the organization? So for example, the person who's the people person is probably the person who should be doing the day-to-day management of the employees. The person who's the driver may be the person who's doing more of the that you know that strategy, more of the operational pieces. I don't know, but that's that's the kind of thing that if no conversations ever been had around that, as far as division of responsibilities and are the people who have the talents in those particular areas doing the those best roles, that's something to maybe have a conversation about, and the board at least to offer some advice on that. Or again, if the board is more involved in the day-to-day management of the firm to maybe move more directive of that, of saying, you know, let's look at everyone's job description for lack of a better term and what people are responsible for and, you know, set some swim lanes on who's who's doing what as far as interacting with employees on a daily basis. One of the things that might be helpful for these individuals if they haven't done something like this before is the strengths finder inventory, which Mm. Dave and I have done and Dave's done some shows on before, so that might be something worth looking into as well. 
those things are only truly valuable, again, if the person actually has an interest in some level of participating in that. If it's done under duress, that doesn't typically work out very well. So if if there were, a, perhaps if it's not a skill set that someone on the board has, bringing in an outside professional to help out with that sort of facilitation might be a really beneficial thing. So a couple of resources that might be helpful for Jay around this. Um, Jay, you may want to check out episodes 89 and 90 of the show if StrengthsFinder is something that would potentially be helpful as a way to introduce this concept. Um, we did a lot of conversation around that in that tool. But I think whether you use something like StrengthsFinder or not, just the conversation we had in that episode might be really helpful as far as thinking of putting people in the roles that are really most suited for them and their natural talents. Another resource, um, this question made me think of an interview I just heard on the Harvard uh, Business Review idea, Caspani, uh, within the last couple of weeks with Ram Sharan, who's a noted uh, advisor to boards all over the world. And he has a book coming out uh, within the next week or two called Boards That Lead. I haven't read the book, so normally I don't recommend books I haven't read. However, he's such a well-renowned um you know, just well-respected person in the business world. He has many, many best-selling books out there that I uh, I can very safely recommend that I'm sure it will be a great resource. And so, Jay, that may be something you want to check out as a resource as well. I heard that same interview about the book and also have not read it because it's not out yet. But, but I mean, he's just so well-known, as you said, and then hearing yeah. him in the interview Boy, that's a terrific recommendation. That'll be in the show notes for Jay to check out. It will be. And and the big takeaway, by the way, if you don't go check out that interview, is that boards are taking a much more active management role. That's the trend right now in managing firms. And so something to be thinking about. And, I'm, and uh, Jay, you may be ahead of your time as far as thinking of how you might provide some more direction to your management team on that. Okay, let's go to the next question here. And this question is from Mornay. Hello, Dave. This is Mornay coming from you all the way from sunny South Africa. Let me give you a quick background of my conundrum. I've always had a natural inclination towards leadership, and I've always been drawn to management positions without me actively trying and pursuing them. The difference is that it, the, real, the rules have always been clear and precise, and everybody always knew who was responsible for what in the team and who brought what to the team. For the last six months, I've found myself in a leadership conundrum where I'm part of a team that's based at the client side, but we are geographically split over two cities. My inner battle revolves around the fact that my management informed me that I am responsible for the account management, but it seems that they neglected to inform everybody else about that fact. What makes it worse is that in the other team, or in the team in the other city, there's a team member who was told that they are responsible for the account management as well. So at the moment, it feels like an unspoken tug of war where we are trying to stake out our ground. Now, I love my team that I'm part of, and we're very specialized and good at what we do. The responsibilities have been delegated very efficiently among the senior members of the team. Um, with regards to various aspects of the account, like the commercial management, technical direction, new business engagement, etc. But now it feels like I'm left out in the cold since I don't have a quantifiable deliverable from the client's perspective in the team, apart from being one of the technical resources or developers on the floor and doing my normal line management role for the company. So my questions are basically twofold. The one is, what should I do in this situation? 
should I try and come in like a bull in a china shop and stake my ground and sort of fight out for my position? Or should I settle back and manage from the background? Secondly, how do I manage strong personalities uh, which are older than me, but so I can still come across as a good leader with humility and not as arrogant? I still have a lot to learn about my own leadership ability and style since I'm only 31 years of age, but I believe that I'm looking at this from an emotional perspective, which is probably my first mistake. The team is functioning very well at the moment. I don't want my insecurities to influence the team dynamic. I believe that a good leader knows when to take lead from the front and when to cheer from the back. And maybe this is one of those scenarios. So that's basically that, Dave. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to contribute to your show. I love listening to it each week, and I'm looking forward to your feedback. Hey, Mornay, thanks so much for your uh, question on this. And, you know, uh, Mornay mentioned one thing before I answer. I, I do have some strong feelings on this, and I know Bonnie will have some feelings too. Um, he mentioned he he uh, leads some people that are older than him. Um, and he emailed me as well, and I know he's already listened to this episode. But for those who haven't, I did do a show back, episode 59, on seven principles for leading people older than you. And in fact, you and I did that show together, Bonnie. And so that's a great resource if you haven't already checked that out. I in should the past. go back and listen to it. It sounds pretty good. Didn't you remember. You didn't remember. What you did. No, all. and the sad that's thing, a great show. Sad thing is, I actually listened to all the episodes after we record them, so it's not even that I have that as an excuse. So that's yeah. awesome. So here's my here's my thoughts, Mornay, for your situation. So the question is, first of all, what do you do in the situation? And then the second question, I think, is, well, how do you correct it? So my first thought is, is um, be insistent on if you're ever put in a role where you're managing others of that being made clear to whoever it needs to be made clear to. So in this case, it would have been ideal. And of course, you can't go back and do this now, but it would have been ideal when that communication happened of to um, be insistent if it wasn't made clear to the team, the client, whoever it needs to be made clear to of who's in charge and who isn't. And I think that that's something that it, it is not possible to manage a team and to be expected to be responsible for a team's performance and that team to not know you have management responsibility over them. So from my perspective, that's something that I would want made clear. And if that if the organization isn't willing to make that clear, that I would not accept that management position or that that responsibility or that role because I'm not going to ultimately be able to exercise my abilities as a manager. Now, you're already in that position. So that's that's beside the point at this point. So I think the question is, is, well, what do you do now? Um, you know, I'm a big believer and, you know, there are, there are times that there's a lot of times you need to stand back and follow. And, and that's a big part of leadership and leading effectively is being a good follower as well. So the question is, is do you do that here or do you try to make a case for why things should be changed or corrected? I think the question for me is, how is this causing a problem for your organization? How is it causing a problem for the client? So if you're going to choose to make the case for this to be corrected and for more clear communication to be done, is I wouldn't just approach this from a standpoint of, I'm not happy with the unclear communication and I need I need more communication for my satisfaction. I would look at it from the perspective of, where is this causing a problem for the organization, our organization, but also potentially for the client and for the team that's trying to serve? So if that is causing problems and there's things that that is that's resulting in an issue, which I would guess probably there are, 
then those are the things to speak to when you go approach your management team and say, hey, here are the issues I'm running into because this hasn't been made clear. And then, of course, the other option is is to accept the status quo and to, like you said, follow. The danger is that you get held responsible for a team that you don't have control over, even though you're being held responsible for them. So I don't know if that's a great position to be in. Um, so I'd, I'd probably consider looking at it from the perspective of what problem is this causing for the organization. Bonnie, what's your thoughts on this? I had some similar thoughts as well. I think it's helpful to isolate this into two broad categories. One is the client engagement, because that's going to be an issue in and of itself. And then the second one is the team dynamics just between you actually accomplishing the goals that the various couple of geographically distributed teams have been tasked with. One of the things that I picked up on is that you said that you're responding, or at least that you were perceiving this in an emotional way. And that I thought was really insightful for you to recognize about yourself. I know for me in my career in interactions I have with people, when I'm able to be self-aware enough to know that I'm starting to feel things a little bit on an emotional level to slow myself down and to try to identify where is that coming from. And so often that is coming from fear. And then where is that fear coming from? And you you even said turf wars, you know, it's, it's, what is it that is scarce that we feel like we have to have these turf wars over? And this can really be compounded when we're talking about geographically distributed teams and and then therefore the relationships. So one of the things you'll want to be thinking about, and, and it goes back to what Dave had suggested, is that if there are issues that have bubbled up because of that, and, and you can quantify them in some way besides feeling emotional about it. But I mean, if there's some quantifiable evidence that say, this is how the client's being affected, or this is how the team isn't actually working as productively as we could, you can come at it from a positive, proactive way of, I have some ideas about how we might work better together. Mm -hmm. One of the things that may be in there that you didn't necessarily identify, but I certainly can in my past, is that there may be sort of that ego thing. And when you start dealing with strong personalities, a lot of times along with those strong personalities come ego. And that's where we can kind of get into, I was going to use an expression that's not very polite, and this is a family show, <laughs> but but you, you want to be making sure that you're not having a contest where it's about pride, ego, and and it's more about achieving greatness together. And so that's just something to kind of kind of think about. A couple of tools. There's there's one which we have mentioned before on the show. I reread it recently. I think it was three or four months ago. Leadership and self deception. Mm, yeah. Leadership and self deception is a quick read. So if you were to pick it up, literally a couple afternoons, you'd have it done. A couple evenings, you'd you'd have it read. And Dave, can we put that in the show notes? Absolutely. And so if you want to check that out, Leadership and Self-Deception, essentially the, the theme of the book is all about how we put ourselves oftentimes into what they use a, an analogy in the book of a box. You know, we, we put ourselves in this place that it seems like other people are putting us into, but ultimately we're choosing to be there. And it's really, really powerful. I am not a big fan of books that are written as a fable or, or, or as fiction to try to teach leadership lessons. This is the one of the ones that I don't mind it at all. It really, really resonates, makes it read really quickly and stay with me. It stayed with me from the first time I read it. And then when I reread it, it was just as fresh and insightful and, and new as ever as if I was picking it up for the first time. 
yeah, it's it's one of the most powerful books I've ever read in leadership. I'm not even sure why I don't have it on my 10 leadership book list, uh, but mm-hmm. if it was number 11, that would be the one. So it's a great book. And I think I think one of the things for anyone in a tough situation where you need to influence your your management to do something differently is always looking at, you know, to separate, like Bonnie said, to separate where's the emotional stuff coming in, where's the ego coming in that's just about you, and looking at it and taking it off you and saying, okay, how is this going to affect the organization? When you approach something from how to affect the organization, I think that 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 gives you a lot broader ability to influence and to affect change. One of the contrasts that you described was that the rules used to be really clear and precise and that they're not anymore. And it's, it is one of those things. I, I mean, I certainly, I would not advise if I, if I were advising your firm, I would never advise them to have someone in a role like you described where I say, Hey, you're the manager, but I'm not going to tell anyone that you're in charge. So I, I certainly, I see that as a leadership challenge for sure. Mm-hmm. That being said, where the world is headed is with much greater complexity and the companies that are going to succeed and the people that are going to succeed in my view are the ones who can adapt to that complexity. We are moving far away from a world where you can have really precise rules and precise because the external environment that most of our firms are competing in is changing so rapidly. So we 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 aren't able to have the kind of success financially, success in terms of productivity that we used to when it was all about being more efficient, you know, pushing out more of the cars or pushing out more of the product, whatever that is, that's more of the production mindset. And now we're definitely more in the innovation mindset. And so to be a leader in an innovation culture and innovation environment, we've got to be dealing with that complexity and the ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting thought, which is kind of different than what I had said. And so I, I think the way I look at that in context of what I had said is, you know, how does your organization work? What's expected in your industry? What's expected in your firm? Is it expected that there's someone who's answerable for the client for the situation? If so, get clear on that. Find a way for that to become more clear. If not, here's an opportunity maybe to have a new a new norm, a new way of uh, doing business. I know I work on a team where it's not clear who's necessarily in charge, but it's great to you know be able for everyone to play with their strengths. Kind of goes back to our first question, actually. Dave works with a client that I won't be mentioning very many specifics about just because there's issues of confidentiality there, but they work in a matrix organization. The whole It's a giant firm, and so the whole organization is all matrixed. And when they build what it is that they build, There'll be so many different teams and so many different people that put this thing together. It's really, really remarkable when you think about that from such a large organization that they're able to work in a matrix environment. But that really does seem to be more of where we're headed. I know for myself, having shifted in my own career into now an academic environment, so you see a lot of faculty pushing to have academic freedom and there are there are rules, but then not anywhere near as many rules as I've been accustomed to. And it's just interesting as a leader to kind of think about how to thrive and how to motivate others in that kind of environment. Well, speaking of motivation, let's take a question here from Julie. Julie asks uh, two questions here, actually, and these questions are related, so I'm just going to read them together here. She says, how do you maintain loyalty and trust when rumors are circulating? And in 
Specifically, she also asked, how do you keep employees motivated in the face of cutbacks? And I know Julie, and I know that she is uh, working in an organization where there is staffing cuts that are happening. And with staffing cuts come rumors and what's going to be next. How does she address that? What do you think, Bonnie? Oh, I thought you said you were going to read the second one, too. You're, oh, okay. well, no, I'm going to get to that one, too. Yeah, you she said actually you were going to read them together. So like, oh, I did. Well, okay. I read the two together. And she has a, this is why it's confusing. Oh. She has a third question as well, too. I see. Sorry yeah. about that. That's all right. So a couple of things here. I know I have worked in an environment like that. And I will say it, it's just, it's an absolute challenge. It, it I would never choose it. I, it's not my my strength it's it's very tough because the reality is first off i would say we've got to watch ourselves so we can't ever allow ourselves to be engaging in any sort of of spreading of rumors or 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 pontificating about what might happen that kind of thing it's not helpful although it is tempting yeah it's tempting cuz that's where a lot of people want to go on the other side of things, we don't want to shut people off when they bring things like that up because what they're bringing up is ultimately their fear and their fear manifesting itself as I'm hearing all these things. I want to hear everything I possibly can. And then it kind of spins and spins and spins. So one thing as a leader is to be thinking about is to over communicate, communicate, communicate everything that you know, everything that that you're able to share at that time. There are some times when you have to hold back certain aspects of a plan. And I'm sure you want to hold it back just because it's practical sometimes to do it because things even can change sometimes in the, the final hour as, as decisions are being made. Yeah. But if it feels like you've said it a, a ton of times, they must all possibly know you say it again and you say it again, repeating and, and offering up a lot of opportunities for people to come and share their fears. And and I think personally as a leader, I think it's okay to be transparent about that it's difficult for you as well without then oversharing about that, but just not trying to pretend like it's easy for everyone. But gosh, this is, this is difficult. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, it's it's tough. Being willing then to live in the fear with people and, and allow them to be transparent themselves and I, I just, I'm not a, a leader who likes to cover that sort of stuff up and act like it's not okay to talk about. Yeah, I, I think that's really wise. And also to not try to fix people when someone is struggling with something or is afraid of something or is concerned about something to, like you said, give them that space to be able to talk about that, communicate about that. Not that the entire workplace becomes about that, but that someone mm-hmm. has some space to sit down and have you just listen for five or 10 minutes and not necessarily try to fix them. And uh, you know, one thing I mentioned, uh, I thought about when I was reading Julie's question at first is I attended a presentation a few years ago with a, a corporate executive of a client we work with, and he was talking about this. And he said, you know, he had a rule in his organization, as he said, you know, I I always operate under three frameworks. Um, when you ask me something, is he'll say he would say, um, I I can tell you, um, I I know, but I can't tell you right now. Or I don't know. And that he said, mm-hmm. I would always try to set the expectation that one of those three things would always be my response whenever asked about something or rumors in the organization. Either here it is, you know, I can tell you everything I know. I know it, but I can't tell you. Or I just I just don't know. I don't have the answers right now. 
And I thought that that was really helpful too, as far as giving people a framework that they can use and just being, like you said, be real with people. I, I think the more you can communicate, the more transparent you can be in these situations, it is not going to it is not going to solve the problem. I mean, it, when there's this is going on in an organization, it's like you said, it's so difficult. It's so hard to be in an organization that's going through that. But you will make the path easier for people if you are someone that they can trust. And if you're that person, then that makes it a little bit easier during a time of a lot of change. There was an organization I'm familiar with that had something more dire even than just cutbacks, but actually someone had passed away. And it was upsetting for many people who had worked very closely with this individual. And my understanding is it became to really become too much. It was affecting productivity and, the, and they were talking to clients and I just, it, it got to be too much. So the rule became, don't ever talk about it. You can't ever bring it up. Oh, interesting. And I kind of thought, you know, I don't think we want to say never, but at the same time I can understand the, we can't be talking to our clients about this. This is not something that they should be engaging with us in conversations, but to carve out some space so that then you can have restrictions. No, we're not going to talk to clients, but we will get together. I'll, you know, for as long as we need to talk through these things, I'll be available, that kind of thing. So you've carved out some space, but as you said, it doesn't become then all encompassing because then we can really kind of hold ourselves back and sort of be reinforcing our own drama, if you will. Julie sent in another question for us too. And this question different, but also a little bit related. Um, She asks, how do you work with a boss that shows favoritism due to friendships outside the office? I try to not let myself get too caught up in it because it can, it can become sort of like a, almost like a childlike sort of dynamic in terms of how come he gets to when I don't, that kind of thing. So I I really have to think about it from a leadership standpoint, is this favoritism getting in the way of the organization hitting their goals? And if it's not, I probably need to get over it. It's sort of my thinking. It may not, you sort of caught me off guard because I'm used to you having a lot to say about something. (laughs) And so I'm thinking that may not necessarily be the best advice in this particular circumstance. But I know for myself, if I start to feel that, that feeling I had when my brother got to sit in the side of the car that I wanted to sit in, where it's if I start to do that, I have to, I have to rise above that. I have to tap more into my greater sense of purpose in the organization and what it is I get to do. So that's something that's helped me when I start to feel that dynamic. But certainly from an organizational standpoint, if it's getting in the way of achieving goals, I mean, you don't have to open up too many newspapers to find stories where things like this are just the tip of the iceberg and where it really I mean, it's funny because people will talk about, you know, how did Enron happen or how did mm-hmm. there's been some recent political stories that have come out, this kind of thing, you know, how did how did it get to that extent? Well, it got to that extent because of little tiny, seemingly tiny things like this up on the front end. So I don't certainly want to sound like the rule is a hundred percent of the time to dismiss it and get over it. For me, it really kind of depends. I have to think I have to separate myself and my own desire because I've always had a a really strong desire for things to be fair and right. I do kind of have that sense of justice that's that's important to me. And you know what? The way that I view justice is not the way that other people view justice. And I guess the other thing that has really helped me is to recognize what that looks like to me, what favoritism 
how I see it affecting myself and other people in the organization and to make commitments to how I'm going to do things differently as a leader in the future, if ever given similar decision-making authority, for example. Well, I, I can only speak for myself here in that I am the master of creating things in my mind that aren't actually there. And so I think one thing that we can all do in situations like this is to really try to check ourselves a little bit and say, you know, how how much of this is maybe just my perception and how much of this is really, really going on? And are there situations that maybe I get favoritism now and then? Um, but I really do think back to in a situation where a manager is doing <laughs> is doing this, I think back to Dale Carnegie's concept of, you know, cooperate with the inevitable of mm-hmm. if there is always going to be some kind of favoritism to some extent in every organization and in every relationship, depending on who knows someone better, what personalities go together better. So there's going to be a little bit of that in every relationship. And so I think for me, the dividing line would be, like Bonnie said, is where is this causing a major obstacle from an organizational standpoint or an ethical or even a legal standpoint. That's the point where then if it crossed that line, and I think that would probably be a pretty high bar most in most situations where we're talking about favoritism. But if it does truly cross that line where it's ethically um, crossing a line for the organization, um, many organizations have a ethics hotline or tip line where they can, where that can be an avenue. Um, you know, many organizations have a, you know, HR as a resource. I, I always sort of hesitate about, I, I, just about every organization I've worked with, people misuse HR. They bring little tiny, th- you know, tiny issues. And I'm not saying this is true for Julie's question at all, but where someone brings a small issue and they, you know, they're always bringing those to HR and it's, uh, and I think sometimes the HR organization will say, you know, it's, it's almost like <laughs> find a way to solve your problem. Like you need to work and figure out how to work politically within an organization and to get along with people. But truly, if something crosses an ethical or a legal line, absolutely find a way to get that information to somebody. Find the person who's responsible in your organization to you know, report that to. Um, but if it doesn't cross that line, cooperate with the inevitable. Know that that is going to happen in organizations and to find a way to make peace with that. Because if you don't and you get caught up in that, it's it's just it becomes captivating. And we and I, I love what you said about thinking back to why am I here? What's my mission for what I'm doing? What's my value I bring to this organization? And focusing on that. And I know both of us have used that at times. So we've had difficult moments in our careers. And that is really, that for me has brought me through sometimes. And I know it has for you too. I sometimes joke with my students in classes about so-and-so. I'm doing this for them because they're my favorite. And and I, I'll make jokes about people being my favorites. Mm. And then I'll let them know that I'm kidding. They don't, it's not like I have them live on with that with that fallacy. I'm being so syrupy trippy with sarcasm that they know. But I, I also will actually over communicate about the things that I do to try to instill more of a sense of fairness and equity in the classroom. So one of the examples the students have been bringing up a lot with me is that when they take exams, I have part of the exam is essay. I have them put a sticky note over their name so I don't know whose exam it is that I'm grading. And I talk about that a lot and why I do that and and that we all have biases. And that actually the more that it, the longer years that pass that I have done that I realize just how much my biases would be likely to affect a grading 
process like that if I knew who it was that whose it was that I was grading when I did it. Yeah. So it, it, it is kind of helpful then to be more transparent as a leader about why you're making decisions and anything that you're doing to try to have things be more fair, equitable and objective to the extent that you can. And I know that's something I have done so poorly and so many times in so many management roles is not communicating why I made the decision that I did. You know, I've thought it through in my mind, but I haven't necessarily explained that logic to others. And so Great advice of being able to explain clearly why it is you're making those decisions. Bonnie, thanks so much for for coming in. This was great. And I'm really excited to uh, see if we can do more of these going forward. Yeah, these are some challenging questions. Thanks to everyone who called in or, or emailed in. Yeah, they are. And if you have a comment or question for us that you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback is the place to go. Stick around for a couple more announcements. I'm recording this closing segment a few hours after Bonnie and I had recorded the Q&A segment. And upon reflecting for a couple of hours, you know, it's so interesting as I've thought about some of the our conversation from a few hours ago when we recorded and now thinking back, thinking of some of the nuances of the questions and thinking, gosh, you know, I didn't think about that perspective when I uh, was answering or I didn't think about this perspective or as I thought about it more over the last hour or two. I was like, oh, I wish I would have said that in addition to what I said. And then Bonnie also got me thinking differently on some of the answers to these questions too. And when I sat down to prepare our conversation, there were some things she brought in that got me thinking new ways that in the last couple of hours have made me think differently on some of the questions that were asked. And so I mentioned that because for a couple of reasons. One is, I mentioned this in a few episodes ago, is that I think there's a lot of value for any of us who lead and influence others, and if we're making decisions that require um, you know, any thought and, and are important decisions, which is hopefully where we're spending a lot of our time, is that it's really important to get other people's perspective because no one person has a has a you know a fountain of wisdom that's at their disposal and sees every perspective of a situation. We get better by bringing in other perspectives and dialoguing with other people who have experience, who have wisdom in different areas, who see different perspectives. And then as a leader, taking in that information, assembling what we need, and then making a decision. And hopefully a lot of the times we'll have gone through a critical analysis process and we'll make a good decision. And you know sometimes we won't. And then we'll need to step back and maybe even apologize on occasion and learn from that experience and move forward and hopefully apply it to be better in other situations. So I mention that because I think that's a great discipline for all of us to be in. I know it's a discipline I need to practice better. So I would certainly have that as a call to action for all of us as part of this community is to go out and to dialogue. And so I really do um, you know, want to acknowledge the people who called in questions to have the courage to be able to step out and to be willing to be coached and mentored and be willing to get a different perspective on something. And then the other thing I'd mention too is, you know, gosh, you know, there's so many different perspectives. There's no one right answer on this. This leadership stuff is really hard. It's really hard. And it's it's so hard to be certain when you don't know all of the pieces of a situation. And even if you do, it's so hard to know the answer. And I, I think that's one of the things that is okay for us as leaders is to struggle with things. 
And in fact, I think we should be struggling with things. If things were easy, then why would we ever ask about it? Why would we, you know, why would be we be put in the positions we're in or given the responsibility a lot of us are given to make tough decisions? And so to the extent that we find ourselves struggling with things on a daily basis or weekly basis or even making a call once in a while that's a wrong call, I think that's a really great place to be. And if you don't find you're struggling with things once in a while or even on a regular basis like I am, then that's probably not where you need to be. You're probably not pushing yourself as hard as you could be, or maybe you've outgrown your your place right now, and maybe you need to be challenging yourself to newer and, and greater things to add value to the world. And so, hey, I leave you with that. The other thing I'd love to leave you with this week is to solicit your feedback on whether or not you thought this episode was helpful. This is the first time we've done an all Q&A show, at least that I can remember. And so I'd love to know from you, should I do more of these? Should I do less? Did it work for you? Did it not? So hop onto the website, coachingforleaders.com slash 114. That'll take you to the show notes for this episode, and we'll give you a chance to join the conversation. I'd also love to encourage those of you who have experience or some wisdom to share on these questions that Bonnie and I didn't hit on. I'd love to hear your experience too. And and especially if you disagree with something we said, I would really value some uh, other opinions too. So by all means, join the conversation on the website. And I know the folks who ask those questions will find that of real value too. Again, that's coachingforleaders.com slash 114. Just go to the bottom. You can join the conversation there with a comment. And if you have a question you would like to pose for future Q&A segment or show, I'd love to get that too. And if you have a question or even a comment or feedback, you can always go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And that's the best way to submit a question to me. I love getting them by audio because I love getting people's voices into the show. Um, But email's okay too if you want to send it that way. Hey, uh, just a reminder, I am still looking to chat with people about the R&D project I'm working on. If you're new to the community and just listening to the show for the first time, I am putting together the very first course for the Coaching for Leaders community that will coming up uh, here early in 2014. And I am specifically wanting to talk to people who've been a who've been managers for less than two years and who work for a company or organization of more than 25 people. If that's you, I'd love to chat with you for about 15, 20 minutes and just learn more about your experience and your management position so far, because that will help me in putting together the course that will be of real value to this community. And if you'd like to participate in that way, I'd love to chat with you. I'm just going to be doing this for about the next two weeks. As soon as the Thanksgiving holiday hits here in the States, I'm going to be on to starting the production of the course. And so if uh, you'd like to participate, just send me an email, feedback at coachingforleaders.com. In the subject line, just put R&D, and I will drop you a line. We'll coordinate logistics to uh, talk for a few minutes, and I very much value your input if you decide to give it. And thank you so much to all the folks I've spoken with in the last three to four weeks. It's been great connecting with so many voices here in the community. And I really look forward to connecting with you as well if you decide to join in. And a special thank you to Jim Parks, Dustin, John, uh, another John, and uh, all of those who've subscribed to my weekly update in the last week. I publish a article each week that will give you a booster shot between shows on how to lead better by giving you some advice to improve your communication, 
human relations, and personal productivity. So if you'd like to get that in your inbox, it usually hits Wednesdays. Just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And plus, you'll get instant access to my video overview and a downloadable PDF on the 10 leadership books that you can use to get better results from others. And we mentioned one of the books that's not on that list today, but I think should be, is Leadership and Self-Deception. So you can get that on the show notes as well. So uh, hope that's helpful to you. Hey, I'd love to hear from you this week if there's anything I can do to be helpful to you. And I very much look forward to talking to many of you online this week on all the social networks. Have a great week, everyone, and take care.